Welcome to Real Life Christianity with Deacon John Lozano. This podcast is about real life and living it in the light of the gospel. Real things, everyday things, relationships at home and work, real issues that the world presents every day, the complexities, difficulties, joys and aspirations of being human. Deacon John is a real guy, a deacon, but also a husband, a dad, a businessman, as well as an experienced counselor, educator, and author. And Deacon John invites us to come as you are as he brings the transformative power of the gospel down from the clouds to real life, your life. Hi, and welcome back. This is uh, Meet Deacon John, part two. My name is Lou Tilly, and I'm privileged to be sitting across from Deacon John in his home. I guess this is Newtown Square? Yep, right? Newtown Square, Pennsylvania. Near his home parish in Paoli at St. Norbert's and, Norbert's, and just outside of the city of Philadelphia. For those of you who play golf, by the way, John is about a pitching wedge across the road from the famous Aronimate Golf Club. Uh, the site of several major golf championships. And John, as we get to know you a little bit, and the stereotype of Philadelphia would be that you're a sports-crazed man <laughs> with pennants of the team all over your den and office here, and no. <laughs> not, not happening here. Don't see one. <laughs> How have you managed to avoid the sports bug in your life? Oh, I like sports. I'm just not, I'm not where you are in your life or have been. I mean, I grew up in New York and I had favorite teams in New York. And then since I've been here a really long time now, I'm a Phillies fan, an Eagles fan, Flyers fan. So, I mean, I watch the Eagles a lot. And uh, I, do, I do like watching sports, Notre Dame football and different things. I used to go to basketball games at Villanova when I worked there and season tickets with my kids. And it was a lot of fun. But I'm not uh, like some... People I know, you know. Not me. We never world. talk about it unless you bring it up. <laughs> oh, really? No. I, I, don't, I just happen to work in the you field. You just happen to work and talk to people about it your whole career. Although okay. I'm moving on, I'm going to teach young minds now about the media. Okay. But let's not go into that. That's a whole different show. I, I'm glad you brought up the, the years at Villanova. And for those outside of our area who are not sports fans, and this is the marvelous thing about sports, Villanova, Notre Dame, you mentioned them. They also certainly bring sports to mind, and, and, and God has used that as a way to bring attention on his universities. Villanova's had a great history in basketball when, when you were there, uh, currently under Jay Wright. But those years, tell us about the role that you served at Villanova and how it may have shaped the Deacon John that we know now and the missions you work on. Sure. Um, so after high school, uh, after college, I got a master's degree in theology. I'd started teaching for four years at a Catholic school, taught religion. And then I got a phone call out of nowhere from an Augustinian priest friend who said, would you like to come to campus ministry at Villanova? Uh, and I never thought about campus ministry. And my first response was no, hmm. which is what I tend to say to all of God's invitations initially is no. <laughs> Because um, I thought, this is crazy. I'd never heard of such a thing. Um, pay was terrible. It was even worse than I was getting. And, uh, but I prayed about it, and it became really clear this was really a great fit for me. Um, so for 24, almost 25 years, I was at Villanova University working 
in-campus ministry, which is kind of the ministry hub or center of a university to help people grow in faith, engage faith, to bring about the Christian perspective on things, to bring about the Christian action in the lives of people in the university. So we did an awful lot of service programs and things like that. Uh, We did mass and liturgies. My focus tend to be on what we've already been talking about, faith renewal and evangelization. I had an ecumenical uh, Christian fellowship I was a part of for years and started Bible studies and worked on retreats and did pre-cana work, started working with married couples before they got married. So a lot of it was wow. the idea of formation and faith and life. It was done, a lot of it was ecumenical, a lot of Protestant friends throughout the years. So it was a really good. I also taught part-time as a part-time teacher in the uh, Department of Theology and Religious Studies, uh, a course on Christianity, but then I kind of got into Christian marriage, and that's what I pre- uh, spoke about and teached for a number of years. It was a successful course, and I loved doing it. This so, was part of the curriculum, marriage? Uh, well, the, the part of, at that time, every student at the university had to take, I think, two or three theology courses mm-hmm. or religious studies. Mm-hmm. They could take an introductory one, and then they could choose another upper level, and one of the upper level was Christian marriage. So I taught that, and it kind of was a perfect fit because I had so much experience in marriage and counseling and everything. So I was able to talk a lot about the dynamics of marriage and how do you have a successful marriage and why do people not have successful marriages? So it was very practical. Yeah. But then there was the theology in there too of what does it mean to have a Christian marriage? Yeah. And all that was there. And the students loved it because you know they're all thinking of getting married and they're all dealing with male and female relationships and they're all getting hurt, most of them, and making mistakes like all of us. And, you know, and divorce rate is really high. So it was uh, kind of what people needed and wanted. So it was a great course. And I loved my time at Villanova. I really did. It was, but then I left, you know, a while ago. How forward thinking that a college was actually devoting some time to a practical life lesson. (laughs) Maybe the most important in our lives. And I'm saying that with a bit of sarcasm, but that's great to hear. Very true. Did this shape you moving forward? into what you do now, these years of speaking with young people. Were they open and honest with you? Were they forthcoming? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, a lot of one-on-one with young people. A lot of, We started a small group ministry where we would have small faith-sharing groups and people would share <clears throat> their life and their faith. And I brought that to the parish. I started the small faith-sharing groups there and all kinds of things that just in a natural progression flowed from that. Uh, but yeah, that formed me tremendously. I mean, the students... Work, You know, it's one thing to know somebody in a superficial sports party way. It's another thing to engage somebody really personally. That's the gift of ministry. It's the gift of being with people who are willing to uh, be like that couple on the road to Emmaus to open up the stuff of their life with another and maybe with God, because that's when things happen. And so, so much of that happened. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that the director of campus ministry was wise enough to let people go with their strengths. He let me follow the kind of ministry I was kind of gifted at and wanted to do, as opposed to forcing me into something that was just, well, had to be done. So that's why it was such a rich experience, too. 
But it was great. It was 25 years. Uh, 25 years? Just about, yeah, almost. Most of my life was there. And it was great. I mean, the, the young person in our society is a... <clears throat> that college age is unique in the sense that the one time in life you have some extra time, you're thinking about your future, you're thinking about life, you're taking courses that are forcing issues cognitively, intellectually in your life. So there's a unique time of life to be with people. Uh, it can be a little idealistic, but that's kind of really good because, you know, when you move on from college, you get kind of you know, cynical and <laughs> set in a path and you don't want to talk to anybody about anything and you right. think you know it all. So there's some real avenues of uh, uh, faith development, personal development, evangelization, if you will, that's possible at that stage of life. It's possible all the time. But I always thought that the young person just had a, it was a really, really great opportunistic time to be with somebody, I think. Boy, I, I did not know that about you. And that, you know, we've known each other for 11 years. Um, I'm going to bring a topic up, though, now that we've okay. dived into this discussion of education a little bit. We're in a period right now, if we want to talk about a current topic, we're still in the pandemic right now. And face-to-face uh, -face education has probably taken a bigger hit than most other aspects of life right now. And there's no end in it in sight. What, what are your thoughts about uh, online education versus the face-to-face experience? Well, I'm, I'm not like on the front lines anymore on education or, you know, people who I, I, I feel very deeply for teachers and principals and school people who, and parents who in this pandemic have to make such tough decisions. I mean, obviously, I think face to face and having people together is the ideal uh, because that's how we humans interact. You know, it's how we, we listen. You know, when you communicate something, what is one of the studies, 90% of it is nonverbal or something. Mm -hmm. You know, so much of our communication is the person, their, their body, their being there with you. Mm -hmm. uh, it's how we learn, it's how we grow and socialize. And not to have that or have it on a screen is, is very limiting. Of course, it's totally the right decision in so many cases because... We're dealing with a pandemic here, you know? So I think we're doing the best we can. I think, you know, it's, <laughs> what is the pandemic telling us? Well, we're human, you know, and humanity's flawed. It always has been. You know, this stuff isn't the first time. I shared with somebody recently something that touched me that has helped people. A lot of people are struggling with why we have this pandemic and what is God saying to us and how come us and, you know, I, I was reading a, a letter I found from my father to his mother, and it was very sweet. It was, uh, he started out, dearest mother. John is turning at his desk now, if I opening the drawer. <laughs> trying to find Turning it. his back to me. Remember, this yeah. is radio, so you can't see, and I'll paint the picture yeah, for so you. Yeah, so dearest mother, and he, 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 he talks. I have this handwritten letter. How, how tender it was for me to read this. But here I am reading this, and I looked up at the date. The date he wrote this was December 28th, 1934. Huh. 1934, Hitler yeah. was just coming yeah. into his own and coming into power. When he wrote this as a very young man, he or the people in his world had no consciousness of what was emerging and what would yet to come. 
So I'm holding this letter as kind of this sacred time of, of, of connection with other humans in history. Like what they were about to face was arguably probably the worst period in all of human history, what occurred there and the amount of death and suffering. And he wrote this letter without any consciousness that it was coming. It was already emerging. Now, why is that helpful? Well, this is our life. This is humanity. This is, this, none of us leaves this world unscathed. None of us leaves this life uh, without having to suffer along the way. And that can help us accept like a pandemic because, you know, <laughs> we Americans, you know, we're wealthiest culture in human history, strongest democracy, big military, all this medical stuff. We can't have this happen to us. <laughs> well, hello, join the human race. And when you join the human race, again, that's a spiritually potentially freeing place to be because you're open in a way that you're not normally open. You're, you have the potential to receive that which you may not receive when everything is just swimmingly fine and you're living in upper middle class America, you're paying your bills and everybody's nice and it's like everybody smiles and eats Cheerios every morning and everything is great. But that's really not life. You know, I recently did, uh, if I, I'm gonna diverge in this because it's coming to me a, a talk on my podcast that someone said was the best message they ever heard. Uh, and it struck me because the topic was life is difficult and life is unfair. Now it begins. <laughs> and that was the topic. And so what I did was I talked about two people I met that really helped me. One was uh, a person I met through a book, uh, Scott Peck, who wrote the book, The Road Less Traveled. It's a book I like very much and I used it in my classes. The, the, and it's a spirituality book and a psychology book. The first line of the book is, life is difficult. As soon as I read those three words, I knew I was going to like this book. Mm. Because it, it like, there's something inside of me that said, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Because you know what? Life is difficult. It really is. It's not all, it's other things, but golly, it's difficult. The other one was a priest I knew who would do parish missions, and parish missions is when it's usually a kind of charismatic priest or person of faith goes around to churches or other things and gives a mission, kind of like what you would call evangelization in the Catholic context, it's called a mission. And he preaches for several nights in a row and he gathers people, he's usually very funny, very dynamic preacher. So I went to hear him. He became a friend of mine, and he was really a, an excellent, excellent speaker. But he started out all his missions with this question. The question was, life is blank. Fill in the word. Life is, what is life? And he would go around to get the answers. They're not answers. They're just what he was looking for, which is always a little annoying when somebody does that. You know, you can just tell us what you think it is. But he did it, you know, <laughs> what, what's that all about? Yeah, right, right. Because everything they said is an answer. Like people said, life is beautiful. Yeah, life is uh, what you make it. 
uh, life is, you know, a gift, and yeah, he got all the answers, and, but they were never what he was looking for, <laughs> right. which of course is frustrating, but it got, you know, it is what it is. But one time, and he, he's given hundreds of these missions, only once somebody got it right, right meaning what he wanted. And it was a kid, and he said, life is, and the kid said, unfair. And the priest said, yes, life is unfair. And again, I had the same experience when I heard life is unfair. There was something in me that said, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Because it is unfair at some level. We all know at some level, I don't care how beautiful everything looks in someone's life, Everyone knows that. And the thing is, we will never say that to other people. We mm. won't admit it. We won't talk about it. We'll look good. We'll smile and tell jokes, which I'm all about smiling and telling jokes. Mm. I'm not a curmudgeon. I have a lot of fun. I laugh a lot. But it's a gift to say to someone, you know, life is unfair. And life is difficult. Or my life is undifficult. Because once you can say it's difficult, and once you can say it's unfair, then you can begin. The difficulty and the unfairness no longer has that same amount of power over you. And you don't crawl into a hole of self-pity or self-regret or anger and resentment that that stuff creates in us. By admitting it, faith can begin. Because my life is difficult. And maybe I need something other than myself. And life is unfair. And maybe the thing called sin, that there's something really not right with this humanity. It's not completely right. And we got to accept it and move in a way that we discover how to free ourselves of it. So those words can help us. And this pandemic, if we listen to it, <sighs> and what it entails can move us beyond certain illusions in our life. Mm, I see. You know, I think, why are people, you know, what, what are people doing now? Drinking a lot, eating, what, what's, what's, what is everybody buying? Guns and alcohol. <laughs> well, there's a nice combination. <laughs> During a pen, guns and alcohol. Yeah, works for me. But why do we drink more? Well, I understand that. I like a beer and what. But could it also be that we just don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with those questions. We don't want to deal with something that's so difficult and unfair. This pandemic is difficult and it's utterly unfair. Nobody deserves this. Comes about every hundred years. Like, what's that all about? Why are we getting this? And again, we don't deserve it because we're American. So <laughs> once you get past all that, then you can ask the spiritual questions. You can be in a disposed place for God that, yeah, life is difficult. That's part of who I am as part of life. Where's God in that? See, see here's, here's the thing. Uh, I'll just end with a kind of statement about Jesus Christ here. Life for Jesus was really utterly unfair. Mm. And it was really difficult. Yeah. Because he died on the cross. And that cross was not only utterly difficult, 
It was completely unfair. Completely unfair. And in that, he redeemed us and we meet him. Through him embracing that which is most difficult and most unfair unto himself, we can meet the one who transforms even death and suffering in our life now and forever because he lived it. He, he, you know, the thing about Jesus is, 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 is in his death, he went to the place of human forsakenness, God forsakenness. When he died, he descended into hell to go to the place of God forsakenness and went there and redeemed it to himself. You know, that's why one of my favorite lines is there's no God-free zone. I love that line. <laughs> there's no God-free zone. There's nothing in this human life and existence where God is not. Where did you hear that? <laughs> I heard that from uh, Kevin Hughes. He mentioned it once. He's a friend of mine at Villanova. And I taught my, uh, my class and yeah, my conversion yeah, class. And he just yeah. mentioned it on the side. You yeah. know, there's no, he was talking about maybe the creed or something. He said, you know, there's no God. I was like, wow. So I borrowed that one. I didn't make that one. I was, and I've used it. I say it all the time because it's true. I mean, even in our sin, God is present. Let me tell you a story about that. Yeah. All right. So, I'm doing marriage counseling to this couple, right? This yeah. is past the Villanova days. This is maybe during the Villanova days. Okay. I was doing therapy on the side. I was getting paid. It was a part-time job. Right. Couple was struggling in the marriage. Uh, I thought they were making some improvement. Um, and I'll keep this anonymous and no names or anything. So there's thousands of people right now going. <laughs> No, there's no, never, 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 never. It's all no, sacred. I don't get it. Um, so they come in one session, and she has this look on her face like, oh, my God. And she starts out, you know what he's doing? <laughs> you know what I found? He's having an affair. Well, the, 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 the wailing and the pain was heart-wrenching. So we talked, and then the next week, he come, we separated, so he came in by himself. And uh, he was a, not a typically very religious person. I guess he had faith and stuff. So he admitted he had the affair. And during our session, he looked at me, and he asked me a question no one has ever asked me before or since. He said, is God with us when we sin? Hmm. And I immediately said, yes. Yes, he is. You may not be with God, but God is with you. Mm. He's with you, even in your sin. And boy, if that's true, what kind of love is that? Right. What kind of acceptance? What kind of no God-free zone does that mean? And even when we're pushing God away, Sometimes in heinous fashions, God is still there loving us. We may not be with God, but God is always with us. And there's no God-free zone. Because if Christ's death and resurrection means anything, it means that. And boy, that is really good news, friends. That's as good as it gets. <laughs>
Well, that takes me down a path. When you talk about marriage problems and you talk about God is with us, it reminds me of the prodigal son story. Yeah. Oh, gosh. But it reminds me of the word that I think of more than anything since becoming a fully committed Christian, which is forgiveness. So when you talk to couples and one of them has sinned egregiously against the other, yeah. how can you possibly be there? How can God be there with the aggrieved person? And how can he or she find forgiveness? So well, you're asking two questions. How could God be there and how could she or she, he or she find forgiveness? Right, you're right. It is two questions. But I can see where they merge. <laughs> How do they emerge? Well, if I, I think, maybe speaking from a little personal experience here, yeah, I'm not go going to name names. Um, I asked forgiveness, in my case, for my sins from God. I asked them from you. I asked them from Father Dominic. I asked them from my fellow parishioners. And I received thank, uh, forgiveness and grace. I feel, feel, feel it. But I didn't necessarily get it from my wife. How, how can you explain God's love to the aggrieved one, to the hurt person? And, and without the forgiveness, can that relationship survive? You're talking about the one who's been hurt, who yeah. does not forgive. Yeah. Forgiveness is a choice. Love is a decision. And we can't make that happen. People are free. In our tradition, we call it free will. See, if we weren't free, then the God's love for us would be a joke because we would have to take it. No, he's given us freedom. You know, if you manipulate and control somebody, that's not love. But if you give them the freedom to respond to your love, then there's real love. It's the same thing with us and God. You know, the, pro the beauty of that story of the prodigal son is Boy, that is like, if, if you just want one story from the Bible, mm -hmm. if you're on a desert island, take that one. So here's the father who's symbolic of God, waiting. Remember I talked about God always, always attentive to you? He's waiting. Now his son is, is basically his son said, I want you dead. When he said, I want his inheritance. I want you dead. That's kind of the message. Imagine your child, your daughter, your son. So he gives it to him, and then he just waits and looks in the horizon for when he's going to come back. Nobody does that. He just waits. And then when he sees him, and he's an oriental, first century, they don't, he runs to him. Runs to him. Doesn't send him to come. Runs to him, and then embraces him. And he's been feeding pigs. And he smelled like that. And he's in rags. And he embraced the pigs. The smell. The, the, all of it. And the son says, uh, you know, I, I just figured I, I could be your servant. The father hears nothing of it. Doesn't even hear the son's head game about, well, partially going back maybe as your servant because I'll be better off than feeding pigs. He embraces him and calls a party, puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, cloak on him, which are symbolic of sonship. So the son 
is always a son in the father's eyes. You were my son. You're always my son. You changed. I never changed. I never changed. That's God's love. We change all the time. We love and don't love. Or then we come to God partially, like he was coming partially. God's love is all in. And this is the thing. It never changes. We, we can't wrap that around our consciousness that God is all in. Never changes. Never pulls back. Never wavers. Never hesitates. But loves like that. So getting back to then the thorny question you ask is what happens when someone does hurt us? Sometimes grievously. I've, have, I've been hurt grievously. I don't know too many people who haven't. And I've been around some people whose pain is bone chilling to be around, how, how hurt some people are that I've met. Uh, I, I almost sometimes couldn't, can't bear what I, to hear some of the things I've heard. So getting back to your question, even there, do you forgive? The Bible and the Christian faith is unequivocal. Yes, you forgive the other. Because God's forgiven you. And to receive God's forgiveness, you receive it fully when you give it. Now, let's be really clear about something, though. Very clear. Forgiving another isn't saying what they did was right. Right. It isn't being a doormat. It isn't saying you can do it again. It's not acquiescence. It's not approval. It's not an award. It's saying that I let... I look at you the way God looks at me. I let you go. It's basically a letting go, a surrendering of the other into the loving arms of God. You're God's, and I won't hold you back from that. I forgive you. And it's a choice. And it's over. I mean, I had to feel my father. My father hurt me quite a bit. I must have forgiven him. I don't know how many times, but I forgive him. <laughs> it can happen over and over and over again. It's a journey. But friends, if we don't, we're the victim and we suffer for it. We don't punish another by our lack of forgiveness. We mostly punish ourselves. I mean, we do hold them bound, yeah, but we're also holding ourselves bound. I mean, let's be real here. And forgiveness is the way to freedom because it's the way God loves. God is utter mercy and utter forgiveness. Utter. And so that's what we do. John, uh, we hope that people are listening to these conversations between us as well as your podcasts where you speak directly to your people, and you can find them where? The podcasts are on uh, the internet uh, under Real Life Christianity with Deacon John Lozano. That's Real Life Christianity with Deacon John Lozano. Uh, it's a very exciting part of my ministry right now. A lot of my homilies are going up there. And if we messages. can make this pitch, if our listeners enjoy them, we encourage them to write a little review? Yeah, it would be, uh, you know, I'm really new to this game of, uh, I, am, uh, I am 
technologically, um, <laughs> uh, what's the word? Uh, in, uh, challenged. Challenged. Well, we have an AM FM radio. Here I have an AM FM radio yeah. in my house. He thought it. Uh, he, Lou thought he could make money off it because it's so old. <laughs> so that shows you where I am. AM and FM with a with a little antenna. So, but I'm it makes a difference if people will, will weigh in, give it a yeah, thumbs up. So what I'm learning from, what I'm trying to say is what I've learned about this is that I've been told it makes a huge difference if they would rate it, hopefully give it five stars, and if they would give a review, even if it's a sentence, to just say something nice, hopefully positive about the podcast on the podcast site. Apparently that really helps promote or gets it out there in this virtual world, and I would very much appreciate it. And where can our listeners and supporters find your books? Yeah, I have two books. Uh, one is Becoming a Fervent Disciple, uh, Practical Tools for Growing in Faith. It's a great book on the practical nature of faith and how you grow in it. And my most recent book, which is a new edition of a book, it's called Good News and Bad Times. Uh, discovering, uh, well, I think the title was a little different now. It's Discovering... Spiritual meaning in the midst of uncertainty. You know, I wrote this book wow. a long time ago. What timing. <laughs> and I feel like now I know it was written for today. Right. It's a short book with stories, lots of stories, some of the things I just spoke about. But it's really, really helpful for what we're going through. And everyone can read it. And there's a little reflection question at the end of every chapter. So it's the new book. It's out there. Both are published by 23rd Publications and can be found on their website or, of course, Amazon.com. 23rd Publications is the publisher. Tell you what, uh, for our next talk, let's, let's use, talk about this. Let's use that as our jumping off point. Yeah, yeah, it'd be great. To talk about some current events. I'm very excited about this book, so yeah, that'd be fun. Thanks. thank you for listening and for sharing the good news with Deacon John, who asks you to come back often and support him by subscribing, by rating the site, and please share our site with others in your circle.